she's here today. But we're going to pick it up now in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 where we left off. The handouts over there are 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I doubt we're going to get that far, but if we get that far, you know, it, it, it's over there. So, and uh, But uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we'll be picking it up, I believe, at, at verse 5. So let's go to the Lord for prayer once again that he anoints the, uh, the preaching of the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. We love that uh, you're a God who forgives. You're a God who saves, a God of mercy. You're a God of holiness and perfect righteousness, yet you can forgive our sins, even though you're totally just because you punish your son Jesus in our place. And so I just pray, Lord, that each and every one of us here would be trusting in your son Jesus alone for salvation, that we not trust in ourselves and our own supposed good works, but we realize that uh, apart from Jesus, none of us will be saved. And so now we proclaim Jesus' word. We proclaim the word of God. And uh, I pray, Lord, that no one would be led astray today, that you would anoint me with your spirit and empower me to proclaim your truth despite the faults that I may have. I pray that uh, your word would be proclaimed from this pulpit, that you give everyone the courage to test what they hear from this pulpit, to test all things with your word, and to only hold fast that which is in agreement with your word. I pray, Lord, that uh, you'd give us your understanding, illuminate our hearts and our minds to understand your word, empower us, uh, to apply these truths to our lives, to build your kingdom for your glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, now, remember, with, with the Thessalonians, Paul only got to spend three weeks there. He only preached three times, according to the book of Acts, in the synagogues over there, okay? Now, Paul had to flee, because the Jewish leaders of the synagogues were just vicious. They were beaten up on, on him and his colleagues, and they had to flee to Berea. And so Paul said the Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. Keep in mind, he's talking about the synagogue leaders. In Berea, the, the Jewish synagogue leaders were open to the gospel. They were open to look at the scriptures. They examined the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. So they were very open to God and coming to Christ. It wasn't that way in Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, the Jewish religious leaders in the synagogues were very anti-Christianity and would persecute. So those are the Thessalonians that, that Paul is saying, you know, the Bereans were more noble-minded than them. Uh, but the Thessalonians who came to Christ, which is such a small amount of time of Paul preaching there, the ones that came to Christ, suffered great persecution. And so that's why Paul, when he starts out, you know, first Thessalonians, he thanks God for their faith, for their love, for their hope, for their patience. These guys and gals were, were bringing forth the fruit of the spirit. Okay. And, um, and so just keep that in mind that don't, don't read Acts 17 and think, oh, the Thessalonian church, what a, what a bunch of losers. And no, these, these were strong Christians going through persecution. Now they had some issues and 
He's going to deal with those in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, he's, he's given them a whole lot of information about the end times and Christ's return in a short amount of time. And so there's some confusion over that. They may have even been confused by some of the things he wrote in uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians. And so he has to correct some mis misconceptions that they may have. So Paul commends them after greeting, greeting the Thessalonians. He commends them for their faith and their love. And remember, obedience equals faith plus love and action. We don't obey God in our own strength by trying to obey God's laws on our own outwardly. Uh, instead, we must obey God from the heart, and that can only be done if we're trusting in the Lord Jesus, not just for salvation, but also for guidance and the power to live godly lives. We're trusting in God's word, not our own opinion. We're saying with Paul, let God be true and every man a liar. Okay, so faith in, in, in the Lord, not in ourselves, not in our own righteousness. And then love, loving God with everything we got, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Everybody who loves God with everything they got and loves their neighbors themselves, they're going to heaven. The thing is, you can't do that without getting born again by the Holy Spirit. You can't do that without trusting in Jesus for salvation. You're never going to love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself in your own strength. That's an impossibility. You know, I don't care what the leaders of the world's major religions say, okay? Apart from Jesus, we can't be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Apart from Jesus, none of us will be saved. Now, Paul brags about the Thessalonians, their patience, their faith, and their love. And that's all. That patience, faith, and love is in the midst of suffering and persecution. You know, um, I remember when uh, I was uh, taking driving lessons from my dad, okay? And, um, and I thought, okay, well, I'm a good driver now. My Joe Fernandez. Son of Portuguese immigrants, he taught me how to drive. It's like, hey, I can drive now. What's the big deal? But I didn't want to be tested. First, I had to pass the written test. I thought that was uh, persecution in itself. And then I got to take a driving test. If you've ever taken a driving test in uh, New Jersey, especially as is County, New Jersey, um, these are not the nicest people in the world, you know? And I was convinced the guy was telling me to take a right turn, you know, 10 feet after we passed the street I was supposed to turn onto. But I didn't like being being tested. I actually did really, really well. I, I passed the second time. And which in New Jersey, we had a guy, uh, Mr. Hamill, next door to us. And uh, he was a big guy, but he came, moved from New York and he had to get his New Jersey driver's license. And I think they were just trying to show him that the we're not, New Jersey drivers are better than New York drivers. That dude failed seven times before he got his license. He's a big guy with a little wife, and she was driving him to work and <laughs> picking him up every day and making sure he had his lunch and stuff. And, um, and um, but, uh, you know, we don't like to be tested, you know. They teach me to CR, CPR class every two years and all that, and I was like, oh, great, great. But then I don't like to be tested. Was it 80 compressions in a minute or is it what? You know, I mean, they change every year on you. And uh, we don't like to be tested, okay? And um, 
Man, the people in this church right now and a lot of Christians throughout America, we look good. We look like spiritual giants. I'm not talking about the the churches that want fluff and this and that. I'm talking about Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. We look real good, okay? It's like me. I thought, man, I thought, man I'm a great driver, you know, until I got my driving test. And um, I'm sure they hired, you know, former Marine DIs to test you and stuff. But there's a lot of us Christians there in America that we go to solid Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches, and we think we are good. We haven't been tested yet. If you're like me, you don't like being tested, okay? But our faith will be tested. And that's what was going on with the, uh, the Thessalonians. <clears throat> look, at, look at verse uh, verses 5 through 10. He, he talks about them that, you know, I thank God for your love, for your patience, your faith, and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. And then it goes to verse 5. With his manifest evidence, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. See, their their faith is being tested and they're being proven worthy of the kingdom. Now, now Paul's using the word worthy there, not in the sense of, you know, none of us are worthy of salvation. Okay? But if we are true believers, until our faith is tested, we haven't really been proven worthy of the kingdom of God. And this is including all the works of God's grace in our lives and all. Um, but an awful lot of it, all, all we've proven, my American Christian brothers and sisters, all we've proven is we can love and serve Jesus as long as we can still be popular with the world. But when our culture starts hating us, how many of us are going are gonna to bail out? I mean, Marine Corps boot camp, I was like, did I read the thing wrong? I think we're only supposed to have something like 43 Marines in a platoon. How come we got 72 guys here? They're only going to graduate like 42, 43. Well, the other guys kind of get set back if they're not meeting the requirements. Then they get set back further if they're not meeting the requirements, and eventually they wash out if they don't make it. And, um, you know, I would not be surprised if those who profess to be Christians in America, I would not be surprised if uh, a big, big chunk, maybe half, maybe two-thirds, are professing to be believers, and that's really not the case. There's going to be a separation of the true believers from those only profess to be believers when testing comes. But when we suffer, you know, our willingness to suffer for the gospel, that's evidence that we're counted worthy of God's kingdom. And it's evidence that God is righteous. So it says, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. God, those who persecute the church, unless they repent and turn to Jesus, they're going to be severely punished by God. You know, um, you know, back in Jersey, nobody ever messed with, with somebody if they had a big brother that they were afraid of. Okay? Now, I'm telling you, don't mess with Jesus' people. 
And the people who mess with Jesus' people pity them and pray for them. Okay? You know, they think, you know, Bill Gates thinks he's a tough guy. You're taking on Jesus of Nazareth? Your billions of dollars aren't going to help you, dude. Okay? And, um, and it's a righteous thing. God is righteous. He will repay tribulation uh, with tribulation those who trouble you. And to give you who are troubled rest with us. When? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So the church is going to receive rest when Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. But what happens when that happens? He's revealed with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished, not with the seven-year tribulation period. These will be punished with everlasting destruction. The second coming of Christ and the rapture of the church are the identical event. I I love my pre-trib buddies, but I do not believe that's what the Bible teaches. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction, not a seven-year tribulation so that some become tribulation saints. No, if you miss the rapture, you miss it all. King Jesus, the second coming of Christ, is when he rescues the church and punishes uh, the world, those who persecute the church. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day, He's going to talk about that day, the day of Christ, the day of the Lord. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. And so Paul is comforting them during their trials, okay? He's comforting them. He's encouraging them because of their willingness to suffer for the gospel. And he's saying their willingness to suffer for the gospel is evidence that they are counted worthy of God's kingdom and that God is righteous. The righteous God will repay with tribulation those who persecute his children. Look at Revelation 6. Revelation chapter 6. Revelation 6. And uh, verses 9 to 11, when he opened the fifth seal, Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11, uh, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. You know, there could come a time when we, like the Thessalonian believers, when we, like believers in almost every country on earth except for America, I mean, Europe wants to really clamp down on Christianity, but they're too afraid of America. The American government, once the American government moves fully into the direction it's moving now, then the floodgates of persecution will be opened all throughout the world. Jesus said that's one of the signs of his coming. One of the signs of his return 
is that we'll be hated in all nations, not most nations. We'll be hated in all nations because of his name. And, uh, and so the day might come when you might be suffering. You might be in prison for preaching the gospel. You might be uh, beaten and tortured for preaching the gospel. Okay? Um, you might be executed for preaching the gospel. You pray for those people. You know, uh, who knows? Maybe they'll repent, turn their lives over to the Lord. Hopefully they will not have accepted the mark of the beast by that time. That just dooms you right there. That's, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in the fullest degree. Worshiping the Antichrist, taking the mark of the beast, choosing to buy and sell and worship Satan and his representative rather than worshiping the lamb who was slain, King Jesus. And, um, but pray for those who persecute you. But recognize if they don't turn back to Jesus, there will be judgment. You know, everybody wants the, the kind, gentle, merciful Jesus, and he is kind. He is merciful. But he's still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is still a holy God. This world doesn't want to deal with the holy God. We got leaders in this world, they want to be God. They want to deify the state, make the state God and control that. Let me tell you, you can't control the true God. And um, But the righteous God will give rest to his suffering saints, and he will repay. He will punish those who persecute his children. And, um, you know, in the eyes of the world... As suffering goes on and continues, and I don't think it's just, it's going to just stop and the church is going to be snatched right when it's about to come to America. Even most preachers, most of my, I went to pre-trib schools, some of the greatest pre-tribbers on the planet Earth who believe the church won't go through the tribulation, and I, I disagree with them. But even they acknowledge the church in America will suffer persecution before Jesus comes back. So no one should ever, you know, try to, Prepare people for evacuation rather than persecution and suffering. And so many of our, my pre-trib brothers, most of them, they acknowledge there's going to be suffering. They're trying to prepare people for suffering, okay? Uh, I mean, if Joe Biden's evacuating you, you, you might need some preparation there. Cause, <laughs> but uh, but uh, not, not King Jesus. King Jesus knows how to evacuate. But we do need... We do need, our faith is going to be tested. And um, uh, we do need to be prepared uh, for suffering. So the righteous God will repay with tribulation those who persecute his children. The righteous God will give rest to his suffering saints. When? He tells us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And it's revealed. How could it be a secret coming if it's revealed? Okay. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on non-believers. Non-believers will be punished with everlasting destruction. Like the fire. This is second coming of Christ language. and puts it all in the same thing. When are the Christians going to be rescued? 
when uh, is the Lord Jesus going to bring his eternal wrath and uh, eternal destruction on those who oppose his people? It's all the same event. I mean, you got three words in the Greek for Christ's return. Parousia, a coming or arrival. Uh, Epiphania, uh, appearing. And Apocalypsis, revelation. All three of them speak about rescuing the church, but also bringing God's wrath um, upon those who have persecuted the church. And uh, their second coming of Christ passages. The church, church understood this um, until 1830, okay, that, um, that there's no secret phase to the second coming. So it can't be pre-trib when Jesus rescues the church. All other adults are hellbound there. There's no room for tribulation saints if pre-trib is true. What they call tribulation saints, they're just members of the church. Neither Greek nor Gentile. We're all one in Christ, and we're going to go through the tribulation. I mean, I wish pre-trib rapture was true. I really wish I could... I could tell you we're not going to have to go through it. But when the kind of suffering that's been going on for Christians throughout the centuries and throughout the world, okay, when that comes to America, uh, you know, two things about it. Number one, I don't see why we're any more special than the early church. I had one guy say, would you allow your bride to go through suffering? Uh before the wedding feast. So what I said, what, what, I said, what are you talking about? The apostle Paul's as much a part of the bride of Christ as me. And when they buried him, they buried him with his head separate from his body. I don't deserve any extra treatment. That's number one. We're not special. American church, we're not special. Okay. But number two, and this is something that's kind of like, this is a God thing. I'm not really, I'm not like, you know, my opinion, I don't want to suffer. Okay. But if God's word says in order to be counted worthy, in order to receive great rewards in heaven, it's going to entail a certain amount of suffering. Um, I think if God evacuated us before suffering, we would actually lose some heavenly rewards. And um, God's word is, is pretty clear. Sometimes a almost a direct relation between the amount of suffering you experience for the cause of the gospel and the amount of rewards you get in heaven. Now, there's other factors, too. And uh, and now you might be sitting out there saying, well, I don't know if I'm pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, post-wrath. I don't know what I am. Uh, look, Jesus is coming back, and we know we're going to suffer before that. And all of us can agree on that, okay? And, um, and so just be willing to suffer for the cause uh, of, the, uh, of the gospel. You know, Jesus died for us. At least we can do 2 Corinthians 5.15. Least we can do is live for him, but that means also that we need to be willing to suffer and to die for him. It comes with the turf. Okay? Uh, we've had it so good here in America. America's the, the big exception. The general rule is you proclaim Jesus, you get persecuted. Okay? And uh and so when, when he comes, again, that word when, the two whens of this passage, verses 6 and verse 10, when the Lord Jesus comes in that day to be glorified in his saints, that's also when he comes uh, 
to punish with everlasting destruction uh, his enemies. So one, one event there, the rescuing of the saints and the punishment of the unsaved is the same event. It's the second coming of Christ. And um, the church always taught that believers would be gathered by Jesus at his second coming. They never taught two phases to Jesus' return until Darbyism started dispensationalism in the 1830s. And, you know, though I've been trained by some of the church's leading pre-tribbers, as your pastor, I believe it's my job to prepare our flock for persecution. I'm not just talking any persecution. Um, I'm talking the persecution, the coming of the Antichrist. I wish that were not the case, okay? Um, but, uh, and I, I love my, my preacher brothers, but I believe they're wrong on this point and that the church will be persecuted by the Antichrist. Now, we're going to see when we get to Second Thessalonians, um, some of them already thought they were in the tribulation. They were confused about what the day of the Lord was and this and that. And Paul has to say, look, the Lord's coming and our, our gathering to him and the day of the Lord, it's not going to come until the apostasy comes first, the falling away of the church, and the Antichrist is revealed and the Antichrist is defeated by Christ. So, um, so I, don't think, uh, I don't think it's something... I, I would I would basically if I were you, even if you're if you're pre-trib or mid-trib or whatever, just 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 make it real clear to the Lord. And I think most of my pre-trib brothers, God bless them, would agree with me on this, that you know, if our theology of the end times turns out to be wrong, we're still gonna cling to Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus because your eschatology, your end time prophecies might be mistaken in a certain area. So if you find yourself going through stuff that you didn't think you were going to go through, um, I mean, God's word gives us a lot of warnings about the Antichrist, a lot of warnings about the tribulation. I don't think he's entertaining us. I think he's warning us because we're the people who could possibly go through it if, uh, if this is the final generation. And... Uh, do I know this is the final generation? No, I don't know for sure, but I don't see how much worse the world could get. Okay? Things are getting real hot in the kitchen. And um, so I, I don't believe there's a secret gathering of the church before the tri tribulation. I believe Jesus will rescue his followers when he's revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance. This is not uh, a secret event. Look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verses 29 to 31. And the verses before it, too, says, if people tell you that, that, that Christ returned in secret, don't, don't listen to them. If they say he's in the hidden rooms, don't go there. I mean, the Jehovah's Witnesses think he returned to Brooklyn, New York. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses are cultists, Okay. But they, they think he returned in Brooklyn, New York. No, it's like, look, they say he's in the secret rooms of the wilderness. Don't believe them because when Christ returns, it's going to be as obvious as the lightning, verse 27, as the lightning coming from the east and flashing to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. When Jesus returns, it will be visible. It will be obvious, okay? There is no secret 
uh, snatching away of the saints. And then Jesus says in verses 29 and 31, he's talking to the apostles, his disciples, who are professing believers. And so they were Jewish. I mean, uh, uh, a lot of people say, well, here he's talking to them as the Jews. And then a few nights later, he's going to say, this is my body, this is my blood. Then he's talking to them as uh, believers, um, as the church. Uh, look, if the tribulation occurred in their, in their lifetime, if this stuff came, if Jesus returned in their lifetime, would they or would they not go up? If they're believers, they'd go up. And so Jesus, this is a message I think Jesus has for the church. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That is the gathering that is spoken of. And uh, I, I, when you look at all the passages of the gathering of believers, you get the Jesus returning in the clouds with his angels and power and glory and um, gathering the elect. Uh, and some of the passages make it really, really clear. Those things occur at the second coming of Christ. It was like Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will, shall see him, even those who pierced him. Every eye is going to see King Jesus when he returns. And I don't see any evidence for two phases to the second coming of Christ. By the way, all my eschatology professors, eschatology, the doctrine of the end times, all of them were pre-tribbers. When I went to Liberty University, when I went to Southern Evangelical Seminary, now all my colleagues at Veritas International University, they're all pre-tribbers. I had to get a waiver because I'm not a pre-tribber. Um, I wasn't ordained because I wasn't a, a pre-tribber when I started the church. My pastor wanted me to, to change on that one, that doctrine and another doctrine that I didn't believe the gifts had ceased. And, um, but by the way, overall, the treatment by my pre-trib brothers has been nothing but love. Nothing but love. Yeah, they weren't going to give me an empty, empty pulpit, but they weren't going to hire me as their assistant, but, um, but they've given me nothing but love. We're buddies and we just agree to disagree um, uh, on this topic. Um, but whatever the case, um, I think that we need to be prepared to go through not just persecution and tribulation and suffering, but we need to be prepared to go through the great tribulation. Okay. John with his preparation courses, those are some great things. Okay. But the most important thing, and John will be the first one to tell you, the most important thing is to be spiritually prepared. I will not deny the Lord Jesus. Well, what if they take your job? They can take my job. I won't deny Jesus. What if they take your food and your money and your home? And then when it gets hard, what if they take your loved ones from you or take you from them? Okay. We got to decide. Decide now. When things are good, decide now. That you are, your both feet are planted 100% firmly in the church, that you're not going to deny our king. Don't wait till somebody puts cuffs on you in the middle of the night and drags you out of your house. Okay? And probably the worst thing that we need to avoid 
is don't get all caught up with so, the social media stuff to the point where you act like that's the real world. And everything that goes on out here, oh, uh, oh, they just took Uncle Tony. They were, he disappeared in the middle of the night. They just took him out of his house. But that's okay. They didn't mess with my social media accounts, okay? Um, it's like I tell my students, the only thing worse, politically speaking, the only thing worse than being a slave and knowing you're a slave is being a slave and still thinking you're free. And uh, but you got to decide which side you're on. We've had people in this church, you know, some of them have moved to free, quote unquote free states, but uh, that have lost their jobs because the government is trying to get them to do something they didn't think they should do. We've had people kicked out of the military. Okay, um, we well, got decide now. Decide while well, days are good. Don't wait for somebody to put a gun to your head before you decide that. Uh, that you're going to be 100% for GS. You got, you got to choose now, okay? Make that choice now. And then Paul prays for the Thessalonian believers in verses 11 and 12. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. You know, are we worthy of the calling to suffer for God's kingdom? I don't know. You know, God, God, for true believers, he only allows us to go through what we can take. And of course, he's there. He's always faithful. We can only take it because he empowers us to take it. But how many of us have avoided suffering because God knew, you know, that, that Phil Fernandez couldn't handle it? You know, how, how many of us, you know, would... would when Satan goes before God in God's throne room, would God ever say, how about my servant, Phil Fernandez? You want to mess with somebody, mess with him. And I know he's going to stand strong. You know, it might, on the other hand, it might be, you know, Satan might say, hey, I really want to mess with Phil Fernandez. I want to bring him down. And God might say, no, no, dude's not ready for it. What about Joe? Go take him down. Okay, so um, so are we going to be counted worthy of that calling? Okay, therefore we also pray always that our God would count you worthy of this calling, a calling of suffering, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. Sometimes, you know, Sometimes Christ's name is glorified in us the loudest when we suffer. I mean, Tertullian, the church father, writing in the uh, early 3rd century AD in the 220s, um, he said the, uh, the seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs. The more Christians you kill, the more people become Christians because they see their faith is real. You know how many people there are right now in America that are longing for something worth dying for. Instead, they believe stupid stuff. And sometimes they probably go to bed at night and they start weeping because deep down inside they know, you know, I, I pretend my life is fulfilled. I pre pretend I'm doing real good. I wouldn't die for this stupid stuff. Okay. I don't know about you. I left stupid stuff. 
for King Jesus. And King Jesus died for me. And it'd be worth it to die for him. Now, I'm not going to try to get myself killed. I just got to be all that God called me to be, okay? And um, you shouldn't try to get yourself killed. But if it does come our way, what a, what a glory, what an honor to suffer the way Jesus suffered. You know, you think of the early church, the church tradition tells us that Peter, probably about 67 A.D. in Rome, they led him up a hill to be crucified. And at this point, probably the Roman soldiers who were guarding him probably loved and respected the guy. And so, and that's the way we need to be with the world. We need to preach Jesus, but we need to love people. So the people will say, you know, I, those Christians are a bunch of bigots, but not that guy. He's a good guy. Hey, you know, they meet a few more quote-unquote good guys, Christians who speak the truth and love, and none of before they know it, there'll be one of us. And um, But with Peter, they took him up a hill to crucify him. And he said, guys, you, you can't do this. I'm not worthy to die the way my Savior died. And probably the Roman soldiers wanted to do him a favor, but it was like, gee, we got to crucify you. And, and probably one of them thought, well, what if we crucify you upside down? He's like, yeah, let's do it. I'm, I, I denied him three times on the night he was betrayed. Let's go that route. But I'm not worthy to die the way my Savior died. They crucified him upside down. Horrible way to die. Two years later, his brother Andrew was going up a hill to a, an X-shaped cross, a Greek cross rather than a Roman cross where they nail your feet separate. And uh, he got to the top of the hill. He came to attention. And he saluted the cross. Andrew thought, what an honor to die the way my Savior died and to die the way my big brother died. I'm telling you, American Christians, hear me out on this, American Christians do not view suffering, especially suffering for the cause of the gospel. American Christians do not view suffering the way God does. And when my opinion, my view differs from God's, guess who's, guess who's wrong? It's not God, okay? And, um, I mean, we got it so good in this country that some Americans think we're not supposed to suffer at all, you know? You know, I got, you know, some people, I was talking with Douglas before church, and he saw they had the back wrap on and stuff. And, um, but, uh, and he's a pain specialist, man. He can help you with that, but pain is part of life. And God's given us minds and we can figure out a way to lessen some of the pain and and fix things that are broken. And that's that's beautiful, beautiful stuff. But he was concerned because I had the back wrap on, but the sciatic nerve isn't being pinched. So I can walk around and do stuff. But I do, do the CT scan show I had arthritis and stenosis. But he said like half of Americans end up getting that as they get older. And so that might happen to me when I get older. No, it's not, I'm, 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 I'm there already. But, uh, but it, it's one of those deals. You know, some of us, some of us Americans think any pain at all is bad. It's just like, look, hey, it's part of this world. Now, granted, when the pain gets excruciating, if we have medicine that can help, 
if we have therapy that can help and treatment that can help, fine. But, you know, you see me walking around with a back wrap, you don't feel sorry for me. You can pray for me, don't feel sorry for me. When I'm suffering from sciatic nerve, feel sorry for me then, okay? <laughs> but what I'm getting at, the idea that we're going to get rid of all pain, that's just not there. That's what I like about the, the pain specialist and the doctor that, that Douglas has introduced me to is he lays it all out. And it is, there's like surgery, there's like a cortisone shot, there's like stretching, there's physical therapy, and there's medication, and they let you make the choice. And um, But what I was hearing from this brilliant pain specialist doctor, he's kind of let me know in a nice way. Pain, and he's a Christian too. Pain is part of life ever since we blew it in the garden. Okay? So we can lessen some of the pain, praise God. But the idea I can live on planet Earth with no pain at all, that's health and wealth baloney. Okay? That's heresy. And, um, but we have to start viewing suffering through the lenses of God, through the eyes of God. And, um, and with, with King Jesus, the suffering preceded the glory. With us, the suffering is going to precede the glory as well. You know, it's a Second Timothy 3.12 thing. Everyone who desires to live a godly life will suffer. Okay? Will suffer persecution. It comes with the turf. If I were preaching in Ethiopia right now to Christians, I wouldn't have to emphasize that. They know it. They're already suffering. But we're the spoiled kids. We're the brats. We're the American church, okay? And, um, you know, so what I'm telling you is things are going to get incredibly normal for the church in America because they've been abnormal because we, at one time we were a Christian culture. Probably around the time I was born, we stopped being a Christian culture and then we took prayer to the schools and um, then we made abortion legal in all 50 states through the unconstitutional Roe versus Wade and, and uh, said that homosexuality is just an alternative lifestyle. It's not sinful at all. And now there's, there's, there's even though the Bible says God created the male and female in the beginning, now we've got as many genders as you want. You can identify as anything you want to be. And um, it's, 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 it's madness. Um, and so now what we're seeing is that tribulation that has gone on all over the world in different countries, our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church, something the Western media doesn't even want to talk about. And uh, well, it's coming to America, and it's coming soon. And, um, and so you, we just got to stay true to Jesus. He's the king. He suffered and died. If God the Son became a man and suffered and died for his enemies, and now he's our friend who saved us, then what What makes us say, well, I'm not going to suffer for him? Okay? And, um, and so Paul prays for the Thessalonian believers that God would count them, them uh, the Thessalonian believers, worthy of this calling, the calling of suffering for God's kingdom. Okay? Just as Corey Tamboom 
suffered for opposing the Nazis, lying to them and hiding innocent Jewish people in her home because that was the Christian thing to do. And then she was eventually sent to a camp, a labor camp by the Nazis. And her sister died in that camp. She got sickly, but she didn't die. They released her accidentally on a clerical error. Her dad got sick. They released him, but he died from the sickness he got while there. And um, are we going to be counted worthy of suffering for God's kingdom? Because God accomplishes his good pleasure through our sufferings. Okay? It's like, again, I said last week, a lot of guys want to get big. They want to lift weights. They want to get big. But uh, it's no pain, no gain. Okay? And, um, and so, uh, so the name that the... So Paul says that the, the purpose of our suffering is that the name of the Lord Jesus might be glorified in us. Okay? Uh, some of us are going to be like Samson. Hopefully not his immorality and all the stupid things he did. Um, but some of us are going to be like him at the most. His death, he impacted more lives with his death than he did with his entire life. Okay? And... Um, it could be a you could do a reversal of that though too. You could live an entire godly life like Noah, and then when you're over 900 years old, end up naked and drunk. You know, so I mean, um, some of us could blow it. it. Could cause a stumbling block to others, and um, but we we need to we need to say, look, I want to glorify Jesus in my life, and I want to glorify Jesus in my death, okay? And um, I want to bring him glory. I mean, he, he left the throne room of, room of heaven for me. He became a little little baby born in a manger for me, for you. He lived among the Jews for 30 years, and then he went out and started his preaching ministry. He was ridiculed. He was abandoned. He was forsaken. He was scourged. He was mocked. He was crucified. And he died for me. He died for you. And uh, he died so his enemies, us, could go to heaven. He died so that we could live. What, what right do we have to tell him, I'm not going to suffer for you, Lord Jesus, okay? And so this, my preacher brothers and mid, post-rat, post-trib brothers, all of us, amillennialists, post-millennialists, we all agree. We got to be willing to suffer for Jesus to one degree or another. You know, we got to be willing to live for him and if need be, die for him. Look at John 17, 15. Gospel of John. Chapter 17 and verse 15. Jesus is praying for the church. He's praying for his apostles, then he's praying for the church on the night he was betrayed. And John records, it's not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke because I think Matthew was asleep when this was going on. I think John was probably barely 
barely awake for it. But John 17, 15, and Jesus says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Okay? Um, there's, there's times when suffering's coming, and we say, Lord, just take us out. And God say, no, you're going to go through it, but I'm going to protect you from the evil one, and uh, I'm going to go through it with you. Just like the fiery furnace of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Lord was there with them through it, and the Lord protected them. Um, and then uh, we'll close with Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Paul's going to continue this topic about suffering and tying it in to the second coming of Christ when the church will be rescued and the persecutors will be punished uh, with God's eternal wrath. Uh, that Paul's going to continue that because we're going to see that some of the Thessalonians were expecting Jesus to return so soon because they thought they were ready in the tribulation that some of them weren't even working. Paul had to tell them, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if any man will not work, neither let him eat. You love your brothers and sisters in the Lord, but uh, you can't just say, well, I'm not going to work because Jesus is coming back soon. Uh, shortly after getting married, I felt led to enroll in Bible college, but I kind of postponed it a little bit because, you know, I was reading Hal Lindsey, 1980s, Countdown Armageddon. Why should I go to Bible college? I'm not going to finish the degree. Jesus is coming back before that. Okay? And, um, but I thought, you know what? God wants me to live each and every day as if Jesus, you know, I could die or Jesus could come back right now. He wants me to live every day just the way I would live if I knew he was coming back tonight. But he wants me to plan out my life as if he's not coming back for 100 years. And and then I thought, you know, enjoy the process. Enjoy learning Bible courses. But I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get a bachelor's degree because Jesus will come back first. I got a bachelor's degree, then we'll only work on a master's, but because I was an apologist taking debates, I needed academic credentials. And But he'll come before I finish the master's degree. Well, I finished it, you know, and so two doctoral degrees later, I mean, it's like um, – and that's what the, what the Thessalonian believers, some of them are saying, why work? Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to come back any moment, so don't worry about it. Don't work. And I can move you off at a few people who are still working. And Paul's saying, look, if any man will not work, neither let him eat. So Paul has to tell him he's going to say it in 2 Thessalonians 2, the falling away of the church and the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of destruction, they have to be revealed first. And then uh, Jesus will uh, return. But Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12, we'll close with this. This is in the Sermon on the Mount, which everybody says they like, but it's because they don't read it. Uh, Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, you know, any one of us starts getting persecuted right now, we're all going to feel sorry for the guy. But we're really not taking God's perspective. God's perspective is you're blessed if you're persecuted for righteousness sake. 
Verse 11, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my, my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. A general rule is that the more it's not absolute, you know, the apostle John wasn't executed. He did, He was exiled. He was beaten. He, Church history says he was thrown into a big pot of oil and his body just hot burning oil and his body just squirted out of there and he was okay, miraculously. Um, but John was probably the only, he was the only apostle that cared enough to follow Jesus right up to the cross. Yet, uh, he was the only of the 12 apostles that wasn't executed, wasn't martyred, okay? But the general rule is the more a person suffers for Christ, not suffering, he's not talking about suffering for being stupid. We all suffer for being stupid, doing sinful stuff. And, and um, But if you're suffering for the cause of the gospel, the more a person suffers for Christ, generally, the more rewards in heaven they'll receive. Okay, we got Old Testament saints like um, Moses lived to be 120, and he, was, he could still throw down. He was still healthy. He didn't even need glasses. He had good eyesight and everything. Uh, but then we got the, you know, Isaiah. Jewish tradition said he was the guy that was sawn in two. Cut in half because he kept preaching uh, the truth. Uh, Jeremiah was battered and beaten. Jesus remembered all those martyrs going all the way back to Abel. All the way to Zechariah. Special place in the heart of the Lord. Uh, there's even one mentioned by name in the book of Revelation. Uh, um, that suffered. Uh, and we don't know exactly what happened to the guy. Uh, but in the letters to the, the seven churches, I didn't look this up. You might have to look it up for homework because I don't know if I could find it. I think his name started with with an A, but he was so beloved by God because he was willing to suffer and to die for preaching the gospel. He refused to, to surrender um, to the powers that be. And um, uh, and it, it, church history records the guy was actually placed, sealed up in a bronze bull statue, and then they set the fire underneath it so he died being burnt to death slowly. And I'm not saying that's my goal in life. Um, but if you want to be precious in the eyes of God, um, be willing to suffer. For God the Son, who became one of us and suffered for us. So general rule, the more a person suffers for Christ, the more rewards in heaven he will receive. Let's live for Jesus when days are good, and then we can be confident that by the grace of God and the power of God, we'll be willing to die for Jesus when things get bad. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I just thank you, Lord, so much for this flock. And I know that uh, some of the stuff that I'm, I'm preaching on may be controversial, but all believers will agree that it is a worthy thing for our faith to be tested. It is a worthy thing to suffer for Christ. 
And we would all agree that things are getting real tough in America and throughout the world. He even used America as somewhat of a restraining force so that uh, European socialism has to be socialism light, light tyranny uh, until America, the American government is on board. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would just prepare us for the difficult times ahead and you could show us that you promised to, to meet our needs, but in the end, all we need is your son, the Lord Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, that each and every one of us here would acknowledge, if we haven't already, we're sinners, we deserve the flames of hell. But that we would acknowledge that your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is God become a man, he's the Jewish Messiah, the Savior of mankind, he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for us so that if we trust in him alone for salvation, we'll become born again through the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll be saved, and then we just need to commit to Jesus and his word for daily living. But help us, Lord, to live for you when days are good and to also be willing to suffer and die for you when things get bad. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the triune God. We love you so much, but not enough. Help us to love you more. In Jesus' precious name we pray.